Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hot Mike across the Outkick Network rolls on. Glad you're with us. We're live at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine Hutton and Withrow. And it's time to talk to the expert. The beast is incredible. If you visit The Athletic, you know what I'm talking about. It is the exhaustive dive into the NFL draft. And the author is Dane Brugler. He joins us now. On Hot Mike Ding, always great to have you on, man, and, and especially this time of year when the, the time is, is very valuable. We appreciate you. No, of course. Always uh, it's, you know, my pleasure to join you guys. It's uh, it, The feedback's been awesome on the beast, so it's been really cool to be able to, you know, you work on something for a year, and then you finally be able to share it, and then, uh, you know, hear people really enjoying it. You know, it's, uh, it might not see everything eye to eye in terms of rankings and this and that, but uh, hopefully people see it as a resource guide. Um, you know, everything it's got pro NFL verified testing data for almost 1900 players, uh, over 400 reports. So a lot of good background, uh, inf information in there, a lot of good nuggets that, you know, maybe most people don't know about, uh, about these players. So it's a good deep dive into learning who these prospects are all about. Dane Brugler with us. We're going to see 31 players selected in the first round on next Thursday in Kansas City. That goes without saying. But based on who you've talked to, Dane, uh, and what your ex expert opinion would be, how many players would you believe, uh, on average, are true first-round graded talent in this year's draft? Yeah, and it differs from team to team based off of, you know, it's hard to do it from a general perspective, you know, because that's, you know, there's some players I watch and I'm just, you know, not a fan, but you know what, I'm, he's still going to be in the guide, still going to grade him. Um, and so every team's a little bit different. Usually in most years, you have 18 to 20 first round grades. This year, it's a little less. Uh, you know, I think we're looking at more uh, 12 to 16 for most teams. I think that's a fair uh, general assessment. Uh, at least that's how a lot of teams look at it. Um, and so it's one of those years where, you know, if you have the 20th pick uh, or you have the 50th pick, I think you're getting a, a similarly graded player in that span. And so to have a pick in the top 15, especially at a, a certain key positions, we're going to see corners go early. We're going to see tackles go early, plenty of pass rushers, plenty of quarterbacks. So you look at the premium positions in today's NFL that's what's going to really make up the top half of round one this year. And, I mean, it, I think the positions you just mentioned will make up the top three rounds because there are yeah. highly graded players, especially at corner, edge rusher, and offensive tackle in the beast. And if you need another position, there is a considerable drop-off between the top tier and then the rest if we're just comparing them to those three positions in this year's crop. Yeah, they're, they're deep positions, no doubt. And, you know, we've been a couple other positions aren't as deep. You know, we've been spoiled by receiver the last two years. Two years ago, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith uh, last year with six in the top 25 picks. Uh, this year, uh, you know, I, I, I like Jackson Smith and Jigba quite a bit. If he were in last year's draft, is he the seventh receiver drafted off the board? You know, so it's just it's not as top heavy as we've seen the last few years. 
but there's still some quality depth once you get to day two. Um, and so, you know, it's always position by position when you talk about how deep uh, this draft is. Uh, but you know, the quarterbacks that, to me, that's the, the most interesting. It's always what, uh, you know, drives the draft conversations, but especially this year where last year we weren't sure how many were actually going to be first rounders. Um, how early would these guys go? And even, you know, I, I can remember the day before the draft working on my final mock draft, I'm talking to, you know, my buddies in the league and I'm asking them, okay, what do I do with these quarterbacks? And all of them said, uh, in some shape or, or form, you know, I, I'm not sure, but they're going to go. They're going to go. They always go. They did it. We had one quarterback in their first 73 picks. And uh, a big reason for that, a lot of teams were willing to be patient for this year. Um, and so with this year's quarterback class, where we have four potentially in the top 10, Hendon Hooker's lingering out there. It's, if a team really likes his skill set, maybe he goes in the top 20, uh, top half around one even. So the quarterback conversation is fascinating this season. Is there a clear line of demarcation at quarterback? And what I mean by that is, is there a drop-off point from one guy to the next? Is it Bryce Young, then a drop-off and everyone else? Is it the first four, then a drop-off into Hendon Hooker? Where do you separate this group? For me personally, I think it's Bryce Young and then a, a, a line. Uh, Bryce Young, to me, the clear top quarterback this year, uh, I, if you, all you have to do, you have to be comfortable with the size. That's it. As long as you're comfortable with the size, what's not to like about this guy? Um, you know, he, his ability to create space for himself, uh, the instincts that he brings to the position, the vision, he really does play like a point guard. He really does play like a Steph Curry with the way, uh, you know, he's able to see everything going on. Uh, he almost welcomes the chaos and that that's where you worry a little bit about him is he welcomes the chaos because he knows that uh, the longer he, if he, uh, extra half second, that's going to allow this route to come open and he can hit it with accuracy and touch. But in the NFL, where everything's a little bit faster, uh, guys hit a little bit harder. You know, a, a guy that has, yes, he tests or he was uh, 204 at the combine, he plays around 190. So, you know, a guy at 190 taking those hits, can he hold up physically? That's the big question with Bryce Young. But if I'm going to take, you know, all these quarterbacks, there's no such thing as a perfect quarterback. So you're going to have to sacrifice something. And if he has uh, above average vision, processing, accuracy, I'll bet on that all day long and sacrifice the size, uh, even though he is a complete outlier. We've never seen anybody quite like this, but pretty confident he's going to be that number one overall pick uh, to the Carolina Panthers. Um, and, and then that's where a little bit of a gap. And then CJ Stroud, Richardson, Levis, uh, and then I think another gap. And then uh, and then you have uh, Hendon Hooker, who you know is a little more of a complicated projection because he's coming off the ACL. He's an older player, but you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, and all it takes is one team. To, to believe in a guy and you know, that it's uh, really could uh, make the quarterback position a, a, a jumbled mess. And I think at this year it starts with Houston at two, uh, you know, what are they going to do? I, I think that's where, you know, our focus needs to be in terms of trying to project these quarterbacks. Is CJ Stroud ready to start? Is, is that what you're insinuating there that you don't really know if he's ready week one, like Bryce, Bryce Young would be based on your evaluation? I, I think he, he is. I, I think he could step in and and handle an offense. Um, you know, I, I think that he's a he's the best 
from the pocket thrower in this draft. He's very natural, uh, and he wants to be that. And that's almost uh, part of the, one of the reasons you worry about is can he be creative, creative enough to work off schedule and make plays with his feet when the situation calls for it. But he wants to live from the pocket. Um, and it, it's it's always tough when you are uh, you know you come from an Ohio State where he has uh, two NFL tackles at left tackle, right tackle that don't let him get hit. Uh, you've got a Marvin Harrison Jr. that you're throwing to who, if you were in this draft, he might be the first non-quarterback drafted. Um, and just an all-star cast around you that made things very simple on what you were asked to do. And I don't want to take anything away from C.J. Stroud, but that's part of his evaluation. That's part of the concern as you go to an NFL offense and things are a little different uh, with, with, with what you're asked to do. So teams are a little split, you know, talking to, uh, you know, there are people around the league, they, they look at Houston and I'm, I'm told that that offensive staff is not on hundred percent on board. There's not a consensus among the Houston offensive staff staff that uh, there is a quarterback worthy of taking it to if Bryce Young is the number one overall pick. And if that's the case, uh, you know, Nick Casario, GM, he's still making the picks. Does he, you know, I, can you take a, a CJ Stroud there? If not, everybody's on board uh, on that offensive staff. Uh, do you look to move that pick? It, it, what, what are the trade offers looking like for a team looking to go up and get CJ Stroud? So, um, you know, all these quarterbacks have, have some type of flaw. It, it, they're not, you know, perfect players by any means. It's just a matter of, you know, guys that you can win with. And I think there will be teams that think that they can win with CJ Stroud. Of those three, which could you not pass on, on Brugler's general managed team? I mean, it, it, it stick true to my rankings. It'd probably be Stroud because I think uh, I know what I'm getting with Stroud. Um, he's very. I think I, I feel really good about his floor uh, as a pocket passer, a guy that can push the ball down the field. Uh, pre and post snap, he reads very well. Uh, he's got a very natural feel for touch. Um, you know, he's he's accurate. Uh, yes, he was uh, surrounded by a, an A-plus supporting cast in college, but you know he does deserve credit as well for what he was able to do. And I think the biggest thing that turned for me with C.J. Stroud was the final game that he played uh, against Georgia. Biggest stage he's ever played in, uh, the best defense he's ever played in, and he played his best game as a college football player. And so uh, the what he was able to show on that tape – really kind of gave me the extra uh, optimism about his transition to the next level that he has the tools to, at the very least, be a capable NFL starter who's going to help me win football games. So not only is the beast exhaustive, you also, you mocked all seven rounds of the draft. It's up at the athletic yeah. right now. Also exhaustive. In that mock, when you look at receivers in the first round, you've got them going in short order, 20, 22, 25 overall for Jackson Smith and Jigba, Zay Flowers, and Jordan Addison. Is there a clear separation in that group that you see, or is it what you have in the mock, three guys who are similar in terms of projection, and that's why they're going in short order? Yeah, and I think that, like I said before, these receivers are not on the level of what we saw the past two years, but teams want to, they want more firepower on offense. You know, They want to be dynamic. Um, and so I don't think that that's not going to stop them from drafting receivers this year. And it depends on what you want. Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, we, we have all these guys in the same wide receiver bucket. Jackson Smith and Jigba is a different type of receiver than Zay Flowers, different type of receiver than a Quentin Johnson from TCU or a Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee. Uh, you know, they're all worse receivers but they have different strengths and weaknesses and that fits different positions within an NFL offense. If I'm an NFL team looking for a true X, 
I'm not, I'm going to have trouble finding that in the first round. And a lot of teams, that's what they want. Uh, but if you're a little more open-minded to what the college game is giving you, uh, and then you really, you know, if you want that slot receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba could be that guy. Uh, Jordan Addison, not your well-rounded, uh, or excuse me, Jalen Hyatt, not your well-rounded receiver, but he does two things really well. He can take the top off of defense, tracks the ball really well with ball skills. So, you know, those two traits right there can help you win uh, and help you move the football on offense. Um, and Jordan Addison, he does a lot of things well from a route running perspective, uh, three level threat, but he's 173 pounds. And that's a common theme this year. My top seven receivers, four are under 180 pounds. And that's uh, there's not a great track record of drafting receivers early that are under 180 pounds and then panning out. So it, it's, it goes back to, you know, the conversation about wide receiver, just not being a super uh, top heavy position this year. But like I said, I still think uh, teams are going to jump at the chance to draft these guys because they want to be more explosive. It's all about scoring points. And some of these guys can, can help you do that. Your favorite player, your top player is Bryce young. You've got him ranked yeah. number one. Outside of Young, who is right there? Who's your top defensive player, Dane? Yeah, it's Will Anderson. I mean, I think that uh, he's been beat up through the process, like guys usually are when they're talked about for years and years as being a future top five pick. Uh, you know, his junior year was not as, uh, you know, the numbers aren't as explosive as they were his sophomore year. Um, but this is still a, a a really talented player who has a chance to be a Pro Bowl level guy for a lot of years. Um, you know, six, three and a half, 255 pounds, 34 inch arms, uh, wins a lot with speed to power, but he also has body twitch. Um, he's a very above average run defender, a very good run defender. Uh, but he can also put pressure on the pocket and you just look at what he's did, what he's done, 41 career games at Alabama, 62 tackles for loss. Um, I mean that, that accurately describes how, uh, how, how talented he is at making stops in the backfield, uh, whether it is against a run or the pass, uh, there's just a lot to like about what he offers. So is he different than, uh, Von Miller? Yes. Is he different than say the Bosa's? Uh, yes, I, I think that, you know, he's more along the lines of a Khalil Mack or, um, you know, th that type of pass rusher where it's a lot of power. It's a lot of, uh, you know, using uh, you know, using my hips, um, you know, reading my blocks, uh, setting up uh, blockers. So he, he can do a lot of things that most uh, rushers that age they're not able to do yet. So uh, Will Anderson, I, I would have no trouble making him the the first non-quarterback drafted uh, this year. And it sounds like Tyree Wilson can do a little bit of exactly what you were describing as well out of Texas Tech, a bit of an unknown to the average fan who has been following what Alabama or the, the SEC is doing. But from Texas Tech, originally started at A&M, and he has the foundational traits of being a very good pass rusher in the league. What makes him so high on boards, Dane? I, a lot of the same reasons Trevon Walker went number one last year. Uh, the traits are just uh, outstanding. Six, five and a half, 271 pounds. Um, we didn't get a chance to see him test uh, during this uh, process. He had a uh, broke his foot late in the year. So he's been sidelined with that injury. But uh, based off of what he did this year, and, and you know, he's a fifth year senior. So he's a little bit older. Uh, you know, he's going to be turned 23 here next month. And there's some questions about, okay, why did it take to your fifth year at Texas Tech to really blossom? 
really become this guy that uh, you know we know you're capable of being. Uh, never had more than seven sacks in a season, and you know going up against. Uh, Big 12 tackles, you know, you'd expect more than that. Uh, You know, Will Anderson had double-digit sacks each of the last two years in a better conference. Um, But when, again, the NFL draft is all about not what you've done, but what you can do. You know, what are you going to be the next four, five, six years? Tyree Wilson has a lot of those traits that NFL teams want to bet on. He's powerful at the point of attack. Uh, He's a good athlete, so he can play in space, play on his feet. Uh, tracks the ball really well in the run game so he can string out runs, retrace. Uh, you know, he he shows a lot of, uh, you know, the basic qualities that you want in a pass rusher. Things you can't teach. Things, uh, you know, with the size, the length, uh, the twitch that he plays with. Uh, he's a really impressive uh, toolsy guy. And again, that's, the, that's why Trevon Walker went number one overall. And that's why uh, a guy like Tyree Wilson could go as high as number two this year. Uh, teams are willing to bet on the traits and what you can be for us down the road, not necessarily what you've done for us in the past. And not the same position, but the same type of description, at least for me, would be Christian Gonzalez, uh, the mm-hmm. corner from Oregon, transferred from Colorado, size, speed, athleticism. He can play man. Uh, what's not to like? And you mentioned how deep the corner class is. Is he number one on your list there? No, no doubt about it. He's one of my favorite players in the draft. And it, it goes back to last summer. I had a scout say, tip me off and say, hey, make sure you're watching this Christian Gonzalez. So I throw on the Colorado tape and, you know, it reminded me of uh, I'm watching the end of uh, Avengers Endgame when, you know, all the guys are coming back and, you know, uh, Captain America says assemble and all that. I'm like, you know, why is this comic book movie giving me goosebumps? Uh, But it is. And I'm watching this Colorado tape, watching this corner. I'm like, okay, why is why is this corner from Colorado giving me goosebumps? But that's how good he was. He was playing outstanding transfers to Oregon and uh, played at a really high level this past year. Uh, it got better as the season went on uh, in terms of finding the football, making plays on the ball, uh, led the team in passes defended, led the team for interceptions, six, one and a half, 197 pounds. And it, no, no mystery where he gets his athletic gifts from. His dad is a six, nine uh, semi-pro basketball player. His uh, two older sisters are both really accomplished track athletes uh, ones in the Olympics. So, you know, no question about the athletic bloodlines. Uh, but, you know, when you have a corner that is tall, long, and can run, it's a great place to start. And Gonzalez offers a lot more than just that. So it's it's no mystery why uh, he's projected to be a top 10 pick uh, in the first round. Some really good defensive players that will be selected lower than where they probably should based on where the quarterbacks slot uh, and I think a key to all this, and just an example, just on a vertical board, Dane, Dane Brugler with mm-hmm. us from The Athletic. Vertical board, regardless of position, where do you have Richardson and Levis? Because I think that's a key to all of this as teams try to determine whether or not they're trading up for those guys. Yeah, you know, I, I've got them 13 and 14 on my board, um, but it, it, it's hard to rank quarterbacks on, on, as the on the same board with guards and uh you know defensive tackles and safeties you know because obviously quarterback has such a it's such a more weighted position in terms of how it impacts the team and how high you're willing to draft a quarterback so it, it really just comes down to okay do we believe this guy can help us uh you know compete for the division win uh take us to the playoffs win postseason games if the answer is yes then you know you obviously you 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 bump them up on, on the board. And so some teams will look at Will Levis 
and feel comfortable drafting him as early as top five, top seven. Other teams, same thing with Richardson. Um, you know, it's it's really hard to to stack quarterbacks with these other positions. Um, and you know, like I said, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Some teams uh, will look at these quarterbacks wildly different, and because there's so many factors that go into it. Uh, in terms of ceiling, in terms of uh, some of the, the the testing, the S two testing that comes uh, that plays a part in all of this. Um, you know the competition level that these guys have faced. Uh, you know what, d- just being a little bit different. Uh, so it, it, it's uh, it's a really fascinating conversation, team to team timeline that factors in as well. Is a team ready to compete right now, or they they want a quarter uh, an NFL ready quarterback? Are they willing to sit and you know a guy like Anthony Richardson who 20 years old, he's got has 13 career starts under his belt in college. Uh, didn't go to a big time high school. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of development needed with a guy like Anthony Richardson. But at the same time, you want him on the field. That's how an Anthony Richardson's going to get better is by uh, taking those live reps and making mistakes, but learning from the mistakes to understand what he's doing wrong to get better at it. So things that you're not necessarily going to do just reading a playbook and watching tape. So Anthony Richardson is a player that needs time, but he also needs to be on the field. And that's just not going to be a a great fit for every team and where they are on the timeline of competing. And just briefly, does Levis need that same timeline? Uh, not, not as much. I mean, Levis is ready to go out there and I I think start from day one. Um, you know, it's, it's a shame we couldn't have seen Will Levis, uh, with Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator, uh, who he had as a junior and how good he was as a junior, Liam Cohen leaves new offensive coordinator, also, you know, new receivers, new blockers. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of changeover and, and Levis struggled at times also had the injury that factors into this. But no, I think uh, you know, Will Levis is a little more uh, advanced with where he is in his understanding of the playbook and ready to play. Um, also, one of those guys that tested through the roof, uh, both mentally, physically. So I, it's uh, no mystery why teams are very optimistic about Levis and what he could be at the pro level. He mentioned advanced. Uh, the AP course and the deep dive into the draft is with Dane Brugler. The Beast is available right now at The Athletic. You can follow Dane on social at DP Brugler. Always great to catch up with you, man, and hopefully we can do this right after the draft as well. Yeah, anytime. Look forward to it, guys. Thanks, Dane. Dane Brugler has been our guest. The doctor of the draft. Give some thoughts on what he had to say on a number of positions, uh, plus a lot more to come. That's straight ahead on Hot Mic. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. 
So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Hot Mike rolls on from uh, 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Time to talk some ball, some baseball with Kurt Schilling, who joins us on the Outkick Network, the host of the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show. Kurt, always good to see you, man. And uh, let's just jump right into it. DeCrom, I mean, he's an ace. He's oh. a Cy Young winner, <laughs> and he has wrist soreness. So he had to leave the outing for the Rangers after four innings pitched your take on wrist soreness being the reason for a guy who's been banged up a lot. Mm. Oh, wow. Uh, gotta be careful with this one. Okay. Um, no, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, this was, you knew this was, was part of the package when you got him. Um, uh, you know, it, it was, it, when you looked at the numbers might be one of the best pitchers in the history of the game. I just don't know. Um, he's unique in his skill set. He's, you know, he's a once in a generation talent, but the, when he plays thing is a, it's a huge factor. And, you know, I, I, I think the Rangers, I think rightfully so we're looking into this year as possibly being an October team. And, you know, I, I think I, I put the number, I think at 15 or 20, the over under for, for starts for him this year. And I think it's a safe bet. I, 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 you know, I love the guy. I just, some guys just don't have the physical makeup or the mental makeup to pitch. I, I, you know, there's a difference between soreness and pain. Uh, soreness is something you deal with every day. Uh, as an athlete, professional athlete, you're, you know, last time I wasn't sore, I was like 17. Um, but pain is real. Pain means you're, you're, something's broke. Something's not working. You can't pitch. And, you know, um, I, I'm not sure where the line is for him. Um, you know, I used to play with guys who were supremely talented who, if they weren't 100%, they thought they were hurt. And and there were guys who played at 20% because they felt like whether they were in the – they were we were a better team with them in the lineup than not. Uh, he knows his arm better than anybody, so you have to go in his word and the things that, that he's dealing with. But, you know, it's got to be frustrating for Texas, and I'm sure it's – it's frustrating for him, but um, this is not a surprise to anybody. It can't be. So I, I want to ask you about when the physical bleeds in with the mental on this. And, and you know, Max Freed's another guy. He had some hamstring tightness in his first start of the season. Came out of the game. He's back now. Pitched great last night against San Diego for Atlanta. But how much of this, Kurt, is if you're told constantly the level of investment that's been put into you from an organization – and you're constantly drilled with, you know, pitch management, managing your body, making sure you're there for the long haul. I'm curious how much of this has been coached into pitchers and into guys well, to start I, looking yeah. at different things that may be strained or may be wrong over the course of a start that's right. different from your generation of pitchers. Well, it, 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 <clears throat> listen, again, there's a difference between soreness and pain. Um, when you're sore and aching, it's every day when you're in pain, you can't play. Um, 
there and not everybody obviously takes that approach. I mean, my God, you seen look at guys in the NFL, look at guys in the NHL. Um, you know, there's a precision to the art of pitching in baseball, the fine motor skill stuff that you know, obviously, you know, uh, 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 a cramp in my my calf as a pitcher could stop me from pitching where guys will skate shifts with broken bones in the NHL. Uh, I mean, we're not talking about LeBron James tough, but I mean, you know, we're trying to talk about tough athletes, but uh, uh, it's different. And it really has a lot to do, I think with the locker room that you're in and the people you're around um, because you know, the things that I went through physically and I saw other guys go through physically, I, I was on the field because I wanted the guys that shared my uniform to respect me and to care about me and, and like I did them, um, you know, and and I don't know, I, I don't think, I, I don't ever remember uh, a single second of my career where my salary bled into my thoughts about my physical well-being. I, I never, that was, I, I can't imagine anybody ever doing that. Um, but uh, you get your, and, and to be clear, the, the other thing is, you know, um, a lot of times I think there's a lot of Bella, uh, um like maneuvering with some of the good managers in baseball who, who don't tell you what's wrong. I mean, you know, this, the, the injury to what Woodruff, I think in Milwaukee, um, I, I honestly think that there's a legitimate better than average chance. He doesn't pitch again this year. Uh, that's a, that's a huge deal where he's hurt. And you're talking about months of, of, of sitting. Uh, I just saw somebody else was moved to, I think the 60 day today, you're seeing a ton of injuries. And, and part of this is the program. Now the program, these kids are on coming up to the big leagues. You're paying a guy thirty to forty million dollars a year to throw 175 innings. I mean, really? Uh, but that's the go. God bless the players for getting it. But but these guys are being asked when you when you have to do something for the first time in your life at the big league level. A, you're not you're not getting enough minor league experience. And B, your bot no few bodies ever can handle that. There's a there's a there's a jump up in physical exertion and physical effort that you can't replicate in double A AA or triple A. There's a speed to the game that doesn't happen until you get to the big leagues. But, you know, most guys like me, I had, I think, five or 600 innings in the minor leagues before I got to the big leagues. Uh, I had a couple 180 inning seasons in the minor leagues um, because they, and, and I, you know, you said old school, uh, starting pitchers, the most valuable statistic I could have once I realized what pitching in the big leagues was all about as a starter was innings pitched. Because that's what they were paying me for, and it, to be in a, they were paying me to be like Garrett Cole and Sandy uh, Alcantara. I mean, you're a starting pitcher; those are your 27 outs. If you don't take personal responsibility for all 27, then you're not taking personal responsibility for the win. I, you know, a, a quality start is is uh, just a horrific day in the big leagues. Uh, you know, three earned runs in six innings. That's 18. There's still a third of the game left. That was kind of the mentality that was bred into me coming up through my leagues. That's not the case anymore. And, you know, Sandy Alcantara is like this, like, freak of nature now, whereas every staff had two or three of those in the 70s. So I know that Tampa's lost three of four, but they started 13-0. 
and you look at their payroll and you look at what they're able to do, pitching and hitting. Kurt, what is the secret sauce with that organization, if there even is a secret sauce? There isn't. It's player development. Uh, I would argue that um, in my lifetime, the Tampa Bay, the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, the Yankees to some degree, um, their minor league system creates major league baseball players. You don't ever see – well, the idiocy that Javi Baez was running around with in Detroit over the last oh. couple of days last week, I mean, that that's embarrassing. But you don't ever see somebody in those organizations doing those things. Hey, for, for kudos that, to the manager for pulling him, by the way, in the Javi awesome. Baez. I wanted to ask Absolutely. you about that. Immediately well, yanked him out of the game when that happened. i got to tell you, those are the kind of times and situations where we would have a fight in the clubhouse. That's that's how you got that stuff fixed because that somebody on the team, not the manager, it's not the manager's job to manage that. That's somebody the captain takes to the tunnel and says, hey, listen, here's how this is going to play out. If you do that again, you and I are going to fight right here next inning. And, and, and I saw situations like that, and I was involved in a couple fights like that at, later in my career with team because that's how you handle and police yourselves. That's how you know that the team you're, you're watching isn't ready to be serious about winning at all. Uh, when, when players don't manage those things and the manager has to, you don't have the right mix of people in that clubhouse to take care of those things. Kurt, uh, Trevor Bauer is pitching in Japan. <laughs> he's playing for the Bay stars and he's actually pitching in their minor league uh, uh, park and we'll eventually get the call up, I guess, but, What's the end game here? Is he going to pitch so well that a team's going to bring him back to, to Major League Baseball? Or is this, uh, we're just going to continue to see Trevor Bauer tweet out what he's done, which was in his first, in his debut in front of 2,600 fans, uh, struck out six in four innings, no earned runs. Uh, I, I come at this from a lot of different angles. Uh, on the personal angle, he and I uh, duped it out on Twitter for a little while. I think he's, uh, you know, the village idiot when it comes to, some of the stuff that he's done, uh, you know, but the fact of the matter is the guy broke no laws. There were, the, the, and, and, you know, major league baseball took its moral superiority stance in a situation where they really honestly have no right taking a, a, that stance. Um, I, I, I said it when it happened. I don't, I don't think he ever pitched in the big leagues again. And, and one of the reasons why I think was the part that hit hardest for me as a player was, None of his teammates came to his defense. And you heard rumblings. I'm not sure that they're true or not, but you heard rumblings from the clubhouse of they didn't want him back. You're talking about a Cy Young winner, you know, a 200-inning, 20-win guy, massive numbers, phenomenal stuff. I mean, there's a reason why number one picks in baseball are rarely ever traded, and when they are, that's the red flag. Uh, this guy was a high pick and he's bounced around three or four times. And the, you know, I, I, I look at him as the kind of the antithesis of Garrett Cole from a clubhouse makeup guy. There's nothing about this guy that says leadership. He's clearly got an insane baseball IQ. Uh, he he's into the details of, of pitching. Like I think I was to some degree, um, uh, you know, the, the, the work workout part of this, the coin it's, it's, just a new generation in a different time and place. But I think we've seen, I don't think you'll ever, I mean, listen, especially with the way culture is now, what major league team dis, disavows their brand 
to the degree that they bring this guy in. Because, listen, I can tell you there's 25 players. None of them are going to put up with this crap. And not just not Trevor stuff, but, you know, with him is going to come a media circus. And every player in that clubhouse has to has to answer questions about, OK, you know, you were over four with four punch outs tonight. Blah, 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 blah. Why do you suck? Why do you suck? Oh, and another thing. What do you think about Trevor Bauer? Those are no one wants those. How, questions. how much of that, though, is also because he's he's one of them carrying a camera everywhere. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. He's a listen. <laughs> The guy, the guy bit himself in his own ass, uh, it, so to speak, and maybe he did. Actually, I don't know. But, but the fact of the matter was, he didn't break any, he, he didn't break any laws. Yeah, yeah. But, but, and all, but, but he. There are just some things that you, you're, you're, you just can't be that stupid. Uh, for somebody who has a, a baseball IQ probably in the hundreds, multi hundreds, uh, common sense, he's probably like a negative seven. Um, doesn't mean he isn't a generational talent, potential Hall of Fame talent guy, but when you're that good, you're you're living uh, on the edge with that personality because you have to always be as good as he is for all the other bullcrap to be accepted. And uh, you know the, the guy I'll tell you, Manny Ramirez. I mean, you look at all the stuff and all the stories. Never got him traded or kicked out because he was four, 335, 45, and 135. When that stopped being a question, see ya. You know, I mean, and 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 this day and age now, with my God, the 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 sports tailoring to a woke culture and trying to cater to fans that don't even watch their games. Uh, can you imagine the 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 women's rights march that will happen outside of the minor league ballpark that Trevor Bauer pitches in America becomes back to play for a big league team? I mean, they've, but they, teams don't want to deal with that. And you know, that's saying something when he's that when you're that talented. If I'll, I'll give you an example, if something were to happen to a player like Mike Trout, God forbid, and he were to do something, he would get a DWI. Every player in that club also would be saying, you know what, this guy is the greatest guy in the world. He made a mistake. You know, everybody deserves it. You'd have players going and and coaches and past people. I haven't seen anybody in this guy's life ever come out and say, you know what, he's a great kid. And and he's a great guy in the club. It's been the opposite. And, and you know, he's got a father and a mother somewhere and a family. And I, I, I re- understand that. But he also, uh, he, he. I don't think he ever thinks he bites off more than he can chew. I just don't think his ability to chew is nearly what he thinks it is. So the AL East, from a record standpoint, is best in baseball right now. Kurt, do you think that's going to be the case throughout the year, that this is, in fact, the best division in baseball? I don't know, but I do know this. Uh, along with the rule changes, the, the the pitch clock is turning into something that, uh, uh, you know, they're going to have the old get-off-my-lawn guys who, who are going to say it sucks and it's horrible, but the fact of the matter is it's bringing more people to the game. My, I, I said on my on my show uh, yesterday and uh, today, my oldest son, who grew up in a clubhouse, had stopped watching baseball for a long time. And he cemented to me the other night that he's like, I'm watching a lot of games now. It's like enjoyable to watch. It's not a four-hour experience and all the things to go with that. And that kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Um, because, again, I am old school in that sense. I love the draw, the drama of baseball and, and the moments that drew themselves out over a period of time. A lengthy at-bat, the Kirk Gibson at-bat. Go back and put a stopwatch to that. That would have been like 91 pitch clock violations during that at-bat. Uh, but, but I th- and I think those things are going to change and be missed. But, 
I mean, you can't argue with the fact that I think it is actually bringing, I don't know that it's drawing new fans. I think it's bringing some older fans that had turned the, uh, their back point. on the game back. Yep. And I, you know what? I, I, you can't argue that. Uh, and I always want to see, I'm not a fan of any one team, but I want to see more people at the games and this is helping. And the number one thing Hutton that'll make you want to watch baseball again is when your team is good. <laughs> I yeah. found this with everyone as a fan it, of a but, team when they're good, you're, yes. you're watching more and more. It, it's never good. That's and yep. and unbelievably, owners try to act like they don't know that. That will always be the case in every market anywhere ever. Except, honest to God, I don't think Florida is a viable market for either team. There, I don't. I don't care how they do. I think when you're talking about relocation with Nashville, which I think is absolutely uh, a, a place where a, a major league baseball franchise would thrive uh, above and beyond. Uh, I. I, I Nashville and Vegas to me are the next two spots. Um, and I, I honestly believe if Oakland doesn't get the San Jose stadium, they need to get out of that armpit. Um, uh, Oakland could be a team that really close. I could see them following the Raiders to Vegas, but I can't imagine or fathom that the, ta- that the Florida teams are going to continue unless the game goes to across the board, 100% revenue sharing. Otherwise, it, you know, this is the, 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 the Tampa Bay formula is literally nearly impossible to sustain year in and year out, no matter how good, because you're getting rid, you know, you think about what you are as a fan of teams, whether it be your football or the Titans or whatever, you get, you get attached to players, their players, the second you start to get attached, they're gone because they don't ever sign them to long-term deals. They trade them and get, and make great trades and take other teams prospects. And then, or, or draft with the picks and then bring up more great prospects, you know? You mentioned final thing for you, Kurt. You mentioned uh, the fans are coming back. That, that also includes Oakland, believe it or not, because the fans are going to yeah. have a reverse boycott uh, to show ownership and everyone from the outside looking in that the fans are not the problem, despite what is being uh, said about the issues there. Uh, I feel bad for the fans there, but they're eventually going to have to go to don't. O- uh, well, well, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying, you know what? I'm going to say don't. Because I retired, so I don't have to pitch there again. Okay, their fans sucked. Well, they were they were hor- They were Raider fans and Raiders outfits, yes. but they were brutal and they were hard and they didn't. They weren't baseball fans. They were just people looking to get drunk and throw stuff hooligans. at players. They were <laughs> yes, yes, they were. Te- but but yes, British Oakland, hooligan soccer fans. Time, basically, well, I, I know it's probably I'm a little older than you guys. But the '70s, the Oakland A's were everything. They were a dynasty. And, and it was a great city, but every California city has a chance to be something. But that franchise uh, has been ruined by the ownership and, and uh, they aren't a small market. They just have a small fan base because of what they've done and they're, 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 they're reaping what they sow. But I, uh, uh, you know, I, I, and I'm I know, partially I being know. facetious, but, but the fact of the matter, you're right. I mean, think about that market. And, and again, California has what, four, five teams, four teams. Uh, every one of them, I mean, look at San Diego 10 years ago. No one would have said San Diego's a 3 million Five teams. Year. Yeah. Right. No one would have said that about them. The Dodgers always draw, um, yeah. Anaheim is a tragedy, I think, uh, because two of the best players, anybody alive will ever see are quietly going about their, their hall of fame careers. And I think that stinks. Um, but you know, and the giants are literally, San Francisco, from a sports perspective and a sports fan, is one of the best places on the planet. The the fans in San Francisco in that ballpark are mean and nasty and vile and smart 
and funny as hell. And and as a competitor, it's a great play, one of the most beautiful parks I've ever played in, too. But um, you know, I I, I don't know. I, I think I hope baseball. Listen, I was you heard me talking. We talked about it before the season about the rule changes, and yeah. my I was very pessimistic about a lot of stuff. And I've been wrong. I was I was the same way about the wild card, um, and that turned out to be the greatest thing ever. So it'll be very interesting. I, I think the big ones you've seen at what thirty five percent increase in stolen bases, which is absurd, absurd. You're talking about insane numbers this year. For, for stolen bases. I think the shift that we're going to talk about on my show Friday, I think the shift is having a monster, monster impact that's kind of going under the radar. This is what you get with the Kurt Chilling Baseball Show. New episode available right now at outkick.com. And you mentioned uh, it comes out Friday as well, every Tuesday and Friday, outkick.com. Kurt, we, we always love the conversation, man, and we'll, we'll chat soon. Always love being here, guys. You have a great, great day. Thanks, Kurt. You too. Yeah. Appreciate you. Kurt Chilling there. Chad, what's been a fast-paced show. We wrap it up next on Hot Mike. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Chad, so quick show. Yellowstone's a good show. It is, and it's fallen off a bit lately. But has it? And what season did it fall off? Because I haven't. You know, I'm not. I'd say season four. Last season and the first half of this season, which maybe we never even see the end of this season, based on what's going on. Apparently, it's going to be over whenever they get together to film the second half of the season, which may not be for a while. They're going to end the show. If it, so they are they're making that official, right? That they're ending after season five. Yeah. Um, if in fact that it has really tailed off, and you agree with Chad, Kevin Costner sh- saved how we view the show by saying um, all these requirements five is enough, or kill me off, or do whatever you have to do. And oh, by the way, I'm going to be here for a week, and I'm out. Uh, those restraints at on the front end of things sounded like he was being, you know, a diva and demanding. But as you look at it now, it's like, well. If it led to a show that was already about to jump the shark, quick, I'm quick more power to him. Because I'm caught up on all these and all the prequels. This is the right thing because this show has fallen off. And nothing is ever truly over. They could easily revisit this in three or four years and come back to this story in a future season. And now you've got this entire Yellowstone universe around it that can build back to it. It's a good thing. I think this is a positive thing for the show. Great bands do it all the time. Final tour and then the reunion tour and then the reunion tour again. We're back at it again tomorrow starting at 3 o'clock Eastern. We'll be back.